we are in a series this uh, month, uh, Why Christmas Matters. I think, I think Christmas matters. Now, here's a little insight um, for you guys. Jesus was probably not born on December 25th. In case you guys didn't know that, I hope I'm not blowing your minds, but he probably wasn't born. He was actually probably born in the spring, but maybe the fall. And the reason we don't know is because the Bible's not really clear, but we do know the shepherds were in the fields. And so it wasn't winter because they, they, they wouldn't have done that back then. But every um, year, churches around the world, for a few, hundred, uh, a few thousand years, about, probably about 1,700, 1,800 years, they, they've, they've had seasons where, where we remember things that matter. And it's important to remember um, that God became flesh, that Christ did come into to, to this planet, that God, that God took the first step. Isn't that awesome about God? is that he took the first step. He didn't wait for us. He took the first step. And so that's what we remember um, in this season. But I'm going to, to begin a, to, to say a prayer. Would you guys pray with me? Jesus, it is, it is you who took the first step. And so we ask that you would be glorified today that I'd make much of you. Who am I to share this message about the Son of God who came to live and die for us? so that we could live and not die. Jesus, be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I've been praying for you guys, and I've been praying for this, this weekend. And we're going to talk, um, talk about the Son of God and that he was life-giving. He was life-giving. There's a, there's a word that's used throughout Scripture and talks about life-giving, to cause to give life, to make alive, to sustain your life. And that's who Jesus is. That's who he's always been, and that's who he will be. And so today we, had, um, we have intercessors. We have people that pray. Do you know that I actually met a pastor once who he said, I'm not the kind of pastor who prays? I was like, okay, that's pretty cool. But, but we have people who pray, and we believe in prayer. In fact, starting uh, next month in January, we're going to do something, and we're going to not only have our prayer teams that meet during the week and our intercessors that pray in the morning. In fact, our intercessors are so committed. Um, Gail, she said, Chris, I can't pray in the building. I said, what do you mean? She said, well, the kids' ministry, they're, they're doing stuff to get ready. It's too busy. And, and the worship team, they're kind of too loud. She said, can I go pray outside? And so there's some trees out there. And she actually goes out there and just goes before the Lord and lifts you up and your families and, and prays for this church service. And, and so we believe in prayer. And that's, um, we believe God speaks. We believe he gives life. We believe that his life is not just out there in the clouds. We, we, don't, we don't buy into principles. We buy into a person, Jesus Christ, who did come to earth 2,000 years ago, but he's still here today. And so in prayer, we come and we buy into to Jesus. And, and next year, just so you guys know, in January, about the second week of January, we're going to start 21 days of prayer. And we want to invite you to do that with us. We're inviting you to pray. Yeah, we think it works. I think your life would be different. I know what happened when we had our last time. We're going to do it twice a year in the summer and to start the year off. The summer was awesome. God changed my life, and I'm hoping he'll do it again because he gave me life at that time. Now, you might say, I don't want to wake up early. Me either. 
You may say, I, I don't know what I'm going to pray about. You got to start somewhere. You got to start somewhere. So you just start and you pray, and, and we'll actually show you how to do that. We have some things we can, can give you during the prayer, but, but we're going to have that. And so, because we believe he's life-giving, and we believe he gives life. And so the scripture I want to go to, it's out of the book of 1 Corinthians, not your traditional Christmas season scripture, but it actually covers all the that I think the, this season is about. And so it's a little bit long, but deal with it and read it, and it's in your Bibles, and and you should know it, but it's 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and, and I've pulled some verses out there. I've put them on the insert, and they're on the screen. It says, But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first of a great harvest of all who have died. So you see, just as death came into the world through a man, now the resurrection from the dead has begun through another man. That's why it's important that the Word became flesh. Just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. But there is another order to this resurrection. Christ was raised as the first of the harvest. Then all who belong to Christ will be raised when he comes back. And after that, the end will come when he will turn the kingdom over to God the Father, having destroyed every ruler and authority and power. Skip a few verses to verse 45, and it says, The scripture tells us the first man, Adam, became a living person, but this last Adam, that is Christ, is a life-giving spirit. What comes from this first is a natural body, and then the spiritual body comes later. Adam, the first man, was made from the dust of the earth, while Christ, the second man, came from heaven. Earthly people are like the earthly man, and heavenly people are like the heavenly man. Just as we are now like the earthly man, we will someday be made like the heavenly man. And so if Jesus is the life giver, if that's what he came to do, I thought it's important not just to remember 2,000 years ago this event, because that event kicked something off that's still happening today. But where is Jesus? Where is he? Sometimes you don't feel like you, you know where he's at. I mean, and so I want to go through what the scripture says about where is Jesus today and how is he operating as a life giving spirit? Like, where is Jesus? Is, is this real? Is he real? Is he active? And so I want to go over what the scriptures say, and I think, I, th- I think it's going to show you something. Well, in Mark chapter 16, verses 19 through 20, we see the first place Jesus is. This is at the end of Mark. There were four gospels written. And we could put that first point up there, but the four gospels that were written, they, they, they were told from different perspectives of what happened with Jesus. And this is at the end of Mark, and it says, Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. That's one place he's at. He's at the right hand of the Father. Now that's very important because you need to understand that that in heaven, there is a risen man. The Word became flesh. There is a risen man. We can have access to God Because we are in Christ. This is what the most powerful thing is about the incarnation. It's that the word became flesh. 
And then Christ took flesh up to the right hand of God. Things that even angels desire to look into. And so now next to God is the risen Son of God. He's at the right hand of the Father. The next point in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. The next place that Jesus is, and you could put that on the screen for me, my dear, is he's with y'all. And I got to tell you how I came to that. I'm from Miami. We didn't say y'all down in Miami. But I've lived in the South, and I've lived in small towns long enough that my, my language has changed. I've adapted. I've learned new words. Down in Miami, there were two words you would say. You'd say, you, or you'd say, you guys. Like I said, you guys a lot. But when I moved to the South, I realized that there's this other word that now exists. And you spell it like there, it's a contraction, y'all. And I use it now, and my kids use it, and my wife even uses it once in a while. And she's from the Bronx because we've, we've adapted to Southern culture, and that's okay. But I think we should have a word like this. I think this is a good word because the word you can be singular or plural. And we need to know the difference when Christ... When he was leaving, when he was ascending to heaven, he made a promise. He said, and lo, I am with you always. If if you remember that, he was ascending to heaven. He said, lo, I'm with you always. But when he said you, it wasn't wasn't individual you. It was y'all. He said, I'm with you all always. I don't even know if I say that right. My accent might be bad, but I'm trying, okay? And you guys can try to speak Spanish, and I can make fun of you, and I'll try to speak Southern, and you can make fun of me, but all right, it's all good. It's all good. But this idea that Christ is with us, y'all, plural. If you believe in Jesus, he is with you. So somehow, in some way that I cannot fully understand, but I believe, is that you have Christ at the right hand of God, the risen Son of God, in the flesh, resurrected flesh at the right hand of God. And then with you all, he's with you too. Bringing that separation closed. The next place he is in Matthew 18, 20. It says, where two or three are gathered, I'm in the midst. He's, he's in small groups. Like That's what Jesus said. Like he's in where two or three are gathered, and you can look these verses up, but where two or three are gathered, I'm in their midst. I'm in your midst. Jesus is in small groups of people. I don't know why he said that, but I believe that it's true. In fact, I can look back at the small groups that I've been in in my life, and every time I've been in a small group, every time I've spent time with somebody outside of the church building, my life has changed. I work in the school system. And one of the things we tell kids is, is who are your four closest friends? Who are, and, and you can do this too. This is pretend you're, you're, you're in trouble or you're struggling and you had to talk to me, all right? Because I'm that guy. That's who you have to talk to. So you have to talk to me. You're having a rough go. And look at your four closest friends and, and you're, you're, you're a, a sum of all of them. You're a little bit of this person, a little bit of that person, a little bit of this person. And, and that's the truth. I can look at my four closest friends, and they're different, but I'm a little bit like him. I'm a little bit like him. And when you get in small groups, it changes you. In fact, I was thinking about one of the small groups, and, 
And you ever just have people that you meet and you become friends with? I think about a group that, a group that we had in Virginia. We, we moved to Virginia and we became um, the pastor of business and small groups. That was my job. It was about a 2,000-member church, and I had to do paperwork during the day and then look at all the small groups they had going on in the, in the afternoons and in the evenings. And, and so it was over that. And, and then we joined a small group. So my wife and I, we found a small group, and we didn't really lead it. We just joined it. We said, let's just go to this small group. And so we went, and I think it was Friday nights, and there was Clark, and there was Donna, and there was Matt, and Kelly, and a couple other people. But you know what's weird about that? We left Virginia, and they're some of the only people that we keep in touch with. And then we moved to Missouri. Now, if you picture Missouri, we lived in the bottom right. If you're looking at Missouri on the map, the southeast corner, like right before Arkansas, right in the middle of nowhere, that's where we lived. But we took a trip to Kansas City as a family. We walked into a hotel. And I'm in the hotel, and all of a sudden, there's Kelly. And I'm like, Kelly? What are you doing here? Like, what are the chances that you'd be all the way across the country, and the one person that you had a small group with would, would be sitting in that hotel, just sitting right there? And it was, it was just weird. But it was a couple that prayed for us and strengthened us. And then, and then wouldn't you know they live about an hour away from here? We made this random trip where we both moved from Virginia out to, they lived in Nebraska, he was in the military, and then, and then they moved over here, and he's in Georgia, in Augusta, Georgia, at a, at a, he's in the military, so he does something with, you know, military stuff, but, but we've taken this weird circle of life where we wind up living close to each other, and we ain't plan it out, but you wind up being close to people. God puts people in your path for a reason. And that's one of the places where God, where Jesus is. So he's at the right hand of God making intercession for you. He's with y'all personally, like he is with you. And so when you go through something, realize Jesus is with you. He is there and he won't give up. He's in small groups. And then the fourth place is he is in his church. He is in his church. In fact, that's from 1 Corinthians chapter 14. It talks about what church should look like. And this is one of the things we would love to see here in Lakeside Churches, is it talks about a place where, where God's people are so tied into God and so full of Jesus' spirit, and Jesus is so alive inside of people that people walk into the church and they're convinced God is there, and they fall down on their face and they say, God is really among you. Go ahead and read 1 Corinthians chapter 14. But it's this idea that, that when believers meet together... People should sense that Jesus is there. Like Jesus is here. That's what we want to happen. Uh, some, we prayed this morning and somebody said, God, we're not a rotary club. God, we're not a social club. God, we're, we're, we're the temple of your spirit. We're the temple where Jesus lives. Let that be what happens. That's what we want for here. That's what, that's what makes the difference when Jesus' spirit fills a place, and, and, and we want to be hungry enough to get that, to where our lives are, are broken and, and, and open, and Jesus fills those broken places. So he's at the right hand of God. He's with us personally as a group. He is in small groups where two or three are gathered, and he is in his church. That's where Jesus is. 
And I just want to take a little look, and I want to show you in the birth of Christ, in the, 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 the gospel narrative of Jesus, um, where small groups are. So first thing about the gospels, if you don't know this about the gospels, so four different people shared what they remembered about Jesus being on earth. And if you read the Gospels, and I'm going to be very, very clear, is in there's some places they don't line up exactly. It's true. They don't line up exactly. What that means is it means they're true. Because they were, Matthew was, I believe, in Syria. You had John writing from Ephesus. You had Luke probably writing as he was following Paul around. Yet four different people writing in different parts of the world, but the stories are true. They're just told from different vantage points. Where if Zane and Buck and I were going to go tell you the same story, I would remember things that he didn't. He would remember things that I didn't. And Zane would remember things probably similar and different from both of us. You know, I, I, I had to do investigations in the school system. I don't know if you've ever done that, but they sent me to training. And I had to go listen to this detective show me how to investigate and tell how people were lying. And so I sat in like this all-day training and, 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 you know, sit there and you learn about body language and how to ask questions and how to, how to do this stuff. And they show you like real, it was really cool training, a suspect interview t- um, tapes where they, they show you, can you pick up on these little signals? And you, you never can really tell 100% somebody's lying, but you can find a good percentage of chance that that person's being deceptive. And one of the things they said is, if four people's stories are exactly the same, they're probably lying. Because four people never remember things exactly the same. And in fact, in an interviewing kids, I found that out. There'd be... One set of kids that would say, well, he came into the room and he took his backpack off and then he said this. And the other kid would say, well, he said this and then he took his backpack off and then he went into the room. And then this and that and the other. But you realize there's a couple things that are true. The kid took his backpack off, he said this, and he went into the room. I mean, you you find the truth within it. And so that's what's in the Gospels. And so there's some things that they shared in the Gospels. One of the things is the story about Mary and Joseph. That was a small group. I want you to think about that. That was a small group. Jesus, the Son of God who left heaven, the Word who became flesh, committed himself to Mary and Joseph. A young girl and her husband, he came as a baby. Betrothed, they were engaged. And and he came as a baby and he placed himself in their hands. Like Jesus was a real baby. He wasn't walking on water as a baby. He was pooping on himself. He wasn't making loaves and fishes as a baby. He was was nursing and eating baby food. And think about how hard it is today with a baby. We have four and one on the way. It's hard. And we have diapers that you could just throw away. We didn't have to go wash things in the river and and rinse them out. And, And we have baby food that comes pre-packaged with fruits and vegetables. We don't have to go and she doesn't have to go buy all the vegetables and smash them down so the baby can eat them. Like, it was hard back then. Taking care of a baby is hard today. But he found two people that he trusted and he entrusted himself and responsible for Jesus. 
just as you today are responsible for the Spirit of God that lives inside of you, the Spirit of Jesus that lives in you. And they had to feed them and care for them and, and take care of them. Another small group was the shepherds. We read that Jesus was born in Bethlehem, the house of bread. Bethlehem was a very interesting city because it was, it was, it was the city of the King David. And there were lots of shepherds in that area. In fact, they raised the sheep for the temple, for the sacrifices that would happen in the temple came from Bethlehem. Like it was a shepherding place, and it makes sense. Remember, David was a shepherd, shepherd boy with the stone, went out and killed Goliath. Like that's what happened in that area. That, that is what happened there. And so lambs would be raised in Bethlehem, and they're raised, they were born in Bethlehem, and they were to be slaughtered in the temple. And that's where Jesus was born. The Lamb of God came to take away the sin of the world that would one day die and apply his blood for us in that heavenly temple. The next thing is that you had these shepherds outside and they hear these angels and they say, the Savior's born. And they go and they find him. I mean, you think about the, the work of a shepherd. They, they had to rely on each other. They had a certain number of sheep to watch, but they, they would watch their herds together because they knew that they could not be awake all the time. They could not be vigilant all the time. They, they could not do this work alone, and that's the same thing here in God's house. We cannot do this work alone. We cannot do what God wants to do alone has to be a group effort. It has to be a, a group of people that work together. And, and so you had these shepherds that were there, and they went and they, they find Jesus, and, and the angels make this announcement. The other group of people there was, was the magi, the wise men. Now this is probably one of the most interesting groups of people. Do you realize that the Jewish Messiah, one of the first groups of people to come and visit him, were a group of Gentile astrologers. Gentile astrologers, Gentile magi wise men, one of the first people that show up, the first Gentiles, because he was born to be the king of the world, not just the king of the Jews. He was born to die for all of mankind, not just for the Jewish people. And God had it set up. Now, I believe, I believe that that they came from Persia, although you can read a lot of legends. The truth is we don't really know where they came from. Some people say Arabia, some people say Persia, some people say the Middle East, and they give names and they make stuff up, but the earlier documents, so we don't really know where they came from. But we knew they were from the East, and they came there. We know magi means like astrologer, magician. They would, they would be people that would look at the stars and try to interpret the signs, and you can go back the stars and look at the stars in that day, and there was all kinds of interesting things happened in the constellation of Leo with Jupiter and all these signs that said a king would be born. And they saw it, and they went to worship the king. And Jesus was there. But God was making it very clear from the beginning that it's open to all. And that's one of the things about our church that, that I love is, is we are open to all. You don't have to be perfect. 
You don't have to have everything right. You don't have to have a perfect understanding. These were astrologers. But they found Jesus. And I'm believing God can clear up some of the thinking. How much of your thinking has God cleared up? I mean, when I started in the faith, I mean, I, this, is, this, is, this, is, this is bad. Like, I was messed up. But I got saved. And I'm just going to be completely honest. It's, it's so I get saved, and, and I, was, I was dealing drugs. Like, that's what I did. Like, I'm not proud of it, but that, I mean, this should be the truth. I was selling drugs. And I became a Christian at 17 years old. And, you know, you think you're bad when you're that age and you're making like $500 at a time. Like for a 17-year-old, you're making $500 in a transaction. You're thinking, why do I got to go to work? Can I just be honest? I mean, you're like, this is not a bad deal. $500 at a shot. And so I become a Christian and I immediately knew I was not going to use drugs anymore. But selling drugs, I mean, I mean, I'm saying like I wasn't perfect. But I went to church and God didn't give up on me. And it wasn't until people tried to buy drugs from me at church that I said, crap. God's people, people that went to church, they're like, can we buy some drugs from you? I was like, no! Don't you know who Jesus is? I don't even use this. I'm just trying to make my money back. And I got to go home upset because God's people were trying to buy drugs from me, the guy that just got saved. Who knew well enough I shouldn't be doing that junk? And I had to put one more God down, which was the God of money, and say, God, all right, I'm, I'm definitely going to lose money on this, but I'm going to flush all this stuff and get rid of all this stuff. And, but you see, that's the beauty of Jesus, just like with these astrologers. It doesn't matter where you start. It matters where he brings you to. And you know what? I've jumped into the word, and I know a lot more now, and I know a lot more what's right and what's wrong, and, and that's the beauty. So can somebody walk into this church that believes something crazy? Yeah. Are they welcome? Yeah. Come as you are, but don't stay as you are. There's a difference. Come as you are. A lot of churches would never have had this kid, Chris, come in. In fact, I was like really bad and people didn't want me. But I came as I was because I knew I believed in Jesus and I should go to church. And Jesus never stopped working in me. And he's still not done yet. There's a lot he has to do. And until I reach heaven, until, until Christ returns, like he's going to continue to work. But so you had these magi, people that were far off but still came and they... Um, can, <laughs> The song, you ever heard that song, We Three Kings of Orientar? Tried to smoke a rubber cigar. But you ever heard that song? <laughs> we Three Kings. Probably the most theologically inaccurate song ever because we don't know how many there were. Read your Bible, it doesn't tell you how many there are. It just talks about three gifts. And it wasn't uncommon to bring gifts to a king. And they knew they were coming and they had found a king. And they, they probably weren't even from the Orient, they were probably from Persia. That's the most likely place. But they came there to worship a king. The last group of people that, and this is what I thought was interesting, is is the angels. Do you realize the angels, even when they show up most of the time, when an angel shows up, they show up together? Most of the time, not all the times. In fact, this was a multitude of angels that came and they shouted out, Good news! 
A king has been born. And if even angels have to work together, how much more do we have to work together? In fact, the only place in the Bible that I could see that an angel showed up, or one of the only places alone, was in Daniel, if you remember Daniel. And even he said, well, I had to wait for Michael to come help me out before I could show up. So if even the angels have to work together, why do we try to do things alone? Why do you try to make your life alone? Why do you, why do you try, to, try to do it? You know, I thank God for my wife. Because we have a small group in our house every day. We do, and it's multiplying, it's growing. God's blessing it. There's another one on the way. And I thank God for my kids. Because we'll study the scripture. Do you have a small group even in your family? Like we read the scripture and they'll ask me hard questions. We started out and you could, you could see the books. And I got to start this over again in January. It's going to be rough. But you can see the cartoon books of Jesus where just had like four or five stories of Jesus that I would read them every night. And then it moved to like a toddler Bible. And then it moved to like a teenage Bible. And now we're reading the real thing, unadulterated Word of God, and we're going through it, and we are already in Joshua. And we read that every day, and we pray together. And I hope you have a small group in your family. So you looked at the, at the small groups. You had Mary and Joseph, a small group that cared for each other. You had the shepherds, people that worked together to bring out the life of Christ. You had the magi, the astrologers, people that came from a diverse background. You had the angels, God's chosen messengers, who even most of the time don't travel alone. And the only person that I could find that worked alone in the gospel stories was Herod. Don't be like Herod. If you don't know Herod, Herod was the guy who was king of that area. Jesus was born and he was king. He got the news that a new king was going to come. And he said, I don't want any of that. And he told the, the, the people, he said, just to make sure that this king won't reign, go and kill every child, every toddler, every young boy. Think of the pain. It describes it as, as the area weeping. For, the, for their children. Rachel weeping for her children. Think about the pain you'd feel if somebody came into your house and they took your toddler and they crushed its skull. But that's what Herod did. Because Herod was having no other king but himself. And in fact, when you read it, Herod interacting with people, he's lying them to them and he's using them. Because that's the way of the world. That's the natural way for people to treat other people, to lie to them and to use them. Don't be like that. Deal honestly and serve. Deal honestly and love and support. And you look at Herod, and, and there was no room for another king. Herod was going to be king. Is that how you are of your life? Or are you actually ready to have another king? Do you treat Jesus as king? Or just a good teacher? Have you bought into a principle? Or do you serve a person? Is Jesus with you? Is Jesus with you? When was the last time you heard his voice? 
When was the last time you felt his touch? When was the last time you read the Bible and you felt like it wasn't just words like God was speaking to you? I, I met with Ken for lunch and I said, Ken, I was just reading Song of Solomon. I don't even like that book. Can I be honest? I love the Bible, but Song of Solomon is like a chick book. It's all this making out and talking about like how they love each other and perfume and ointment and stuff like that. And, and I read it out of discipline, but if I had to pick like what are my top 10 books, Song of Solomon is not up there. But I'm reading it, Song of Solomon. And I get to this point where it talks, and in the whole book of Song of Solomon, if you don't know, it's, it's the idea of this woman and the man. And they're engaged, and, and they're in love with each other, and they go back and forth about how they love each other. And if you're a guy, you're like, ugh, come on. I don't, you know, it's like Lifetime. It's the Lifetime movie of the Bible. I mean, like, it's good. It's still the Word of God, but there's a lot of other good books I would start with if I was a male. All right? Anyway, so I get there, and I'm reading Song of Solomon, and it talks about how the man who represents Christ and, and the woman represents his church. And it talks about how the man looks at the woman, and he says, Turn your eyes away from me because you captivate me. And in reading a book I don't even like, the Spirit of God spoke to me and it was just like, God, that's how you really feel about me? Now think about that. Think about an attractive person. Have you ever looked at an attractive person? Like when I look at my wife and... Don't roll your eyes at me. I'm trying to make a point here. But... You look at, look at an attractive person and, and their gaze catches your attention and you just you can't look away. It's like, are you, are you real? Have you ever seen somebody that's just like that mesmerizing? You look at them and you just can't take your eyes off. Do you realize that's how God feels about you? When you turn to him and you put your gaze on God, that he is... He lights up. He wants to come near. The king of heaven and earth. Like You got his attention. Will you give him your attention? When was the last time you had a moment like that? And that wasn't forced. I mean, I told you, that book I read out of discipline, that's like you power through that book for me. But sometimes when you do disciplines and you do things, God just shows up. Last night, God woke me up, spoke to me. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. I want you to close your eyes for a second. Just, just focus on, on the Lord for a second. If you can honestly say you're, it's been a while since you've felt God's presence or you've heard God's voice. I mean, I didn't come here to talk about somebody who was born 2,000 years ago. I came to talk about somebody who is alive today. Somebody who loves you today. Somebody that gives life today. And if it's been a while since you felt him, like if you cannot honestly, be honest with yourself, if you can't remember the last time that you just knew he was there and it was like the curtain was rolled back 
and you felt him and you knew him and it was good. That's not right. That's not how a father wants his children to be. Or maybe you do remember and it's just been too long. But if that's you, you say, you know what, it's been too long since I've felt God's love in my life, since I've felt the nearness of his presence. And I want to feel that again. Like, I want to be near to God. If that's the cry of your heart, would you just put your hand up right now? If that's you, you can honestly say, I don't, I don't want to be far. I don't want to be distant. I want to be near to my God. Just put your hand up right now. Let him know, say, God, that's me. Do you know, even by putting your hand up, God saw that and his gaze is on you. He's ready to come running to you, to take you in his arms. Heavenly Father, I thank you for everyone in this room. I thank you for the people that it's been a while since they felt your presence. Since they've heard your voice. I pray you change that. I pray as they turn their eyes to you through Christ, through the death and resurrection of Christ, that they would come alive in you. Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'm going to let you know. I'm going to invite everyone to stand with me real quick, please. Okay.